0: Father, I thank you for your word and your truth and your life, Lord, that you um, you know who we are. You've created us. You designed us. And Lord, your word is truth. And Lord, as we look at these, what the world or what we may seem look like tough topics, they're, they're great topics. They're things that you're interested in. Lord, they're things that our culture is wrestling with, Lord. And um, I pray that you'd give me wisdom and discernment and fluidity, Lord, to communicate truth and life more. I don't want just information, Lord. I would ask that you would bring incarnation and revelation, Lord, to people's hearts. Lord, let no one be manipulated by me. I don't want to manipulate anybody. I just pray that you would convince people in their own hearts, Lord, with, with, um, with your message. And so bring your life and bring your truth, bring your grace, bring your peace. In Jesus' name, do I hear amen. 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 Well, um, the tough topics I did, how many got something from Who is God last week? Listen, that hopefully to you, I've asked you at the beginning of the message, this is not like a rule, we don't have like church rules like that. But the more of these messages, there's times when I'm doing a series, you can kind of jump around and sometimes people come. This is a very good message that if you went to all of them, in the order that I'm doing in it's going to benefit you more. Like today I'm going to talk about the origin of the Bible because when I talk about sexuality and you don't know where the Bible came from or why it's saying what it's saying, it won't help you. And I talked about the nature of God so you know what he's like. And we we live in a culture where evolution, next week today is going to be where the Bible comes from, Um, next week is evolution really true. Um, I promise you that I will nail this topic I will nail it. and I don't mean it like a prideful way. I just feel like it's something that God has equipped me for. I'm going to talk genetically. I'm not going to talk in circles, in Christian circles, and just say God made everything. I'm going to really talk from a scientific perspective and also from scripture. And the reason is, is because people get a lot of their ideas from evolution, um, and that dictates what... Their life is like, and so they picture that they're this primordial soup that somehow evolved from you know non-life, some abiogenesis, and they became this you know little blob, and this little blob sort of evolved through you know a, um, you know Darwin's Origin of the Species, basically random uh, change you know with natural selection. And I'm going to really attack that in a very systematic way, and then I really want to talk about what God says about sexuality, and I know. That can, if you're struggling with that or you feel that God may be condemning you, I want to encourage you to come and hear what God has to say. How many know that God loves us? Listen, God, God loves us. He cares about us. And, you know, there's always a struggle. There's a struggle in our culture to find our identity. And a lot of that's rooted, whether you're heterosexual or you have um, homosexual or even transsexual tendencies. God... God doesn't define who we are by our, just our sexuality. Did you know that? He, he, he doesn't go by our desires, right? And listen, and I don't mean to be crass here, but sometimes if, if you go to the mall long enough and look around enough, how many know you can desire things? And how many you know you can lust and it's really easy to do, right? If you want to. I can't define my personality and my identity with what I'm lusting after or wanting. Amen? And so if God has given us a love, and the love is men with men, that means I love men and men love me, and vice versa, God must have a purpose for it that fits what his word says. So isn't it important to find out what God says about it? Amen? Amen? And and that's what we want to do. So let no one feel condemned and understand that the cross of Christ covers everything. And then I said women in ministry, because I I feel like women are oppressed in our culture. And they have been. And God is not the oppressor of the women. God is the releaser of women. You're going to see that. And I'm not going to duck some of the scriptures. I'm going to go right at them. And um, hopefully you'll be encouraged. Okay, Uh, tough topics. Um, Today is Bible Origins. Um, if you are from, we have a baptism at the end, so if you're a friend or of the family or whatever, if I'm, I will be talking about other religions, scriptural books today, and I want you to know in advance that I'm not trying to pick on them, or to try to be offensive or mean-spirited. What I want to do, and I won't be, but I want to, I, I think that it's important when you're trying to draw, show the uniqueness of the Bible, that you show some contrast. Is that okay? Okay, So I, I want to look at some prophecies that are made by different religions. And, and I will you know, mention um, you know, Jehovah Witnesses and Mormonism and, and um, Islam to kind of draw a little bit of comparisons. My, my goal, I promise you, is not to be offensive, but to show you some distinctions in how unique and credible the Bible is. I think people think that there's just a bunch of religious books. They're all kind of similar. And, you know, which one are you going to believe? Which one are you going to pick? And I am going to demonstrate the historical evidences of the scriptures and and a lot of its power. And so, Lord, I pray that you'd make your scriptures come to life today and that they would have grace. And Lord, if people are from other belief systems, I I pray that their heart would just be open to truth, Lord, that they're, um, and I I never want to offend somebody, Lord, for um, unless it's a a way to, that Christ is a natural offense to ourselves, because we're sinners and we fall short. I pray that you'd open the eyes of the blind, give them ears to hear, and eyes to see. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, A couple questions, and this is what people usually ask, and this is kind of the religious answer. And remember, I was raised an atheist, okay? I did not grow up with the Bible with this big reference of the Bible. It's the word of God and which religion. Like to me, all religion was all the same. They believed in some thing that was out there that I couldn't see. And so it seemed ridiculous to me. And that it seemed ridiculous until I had an actual encounter with God. And that changed everything. And here I am in Utah preaching the good news. Okay, that's what really what happened. Amen. Praise God. But why do you believe in the Bible? And people will say, because it's the word of God. That is a good answer if you're already a believer, but it's not a real good answer when you're not a believer. Because just because it's the word of God, that doesn't prove anything. Okay? You have to show its uniqueness, its survivability, its circulation. You have to show its existential. That means it's lived out relevance. Okay? Okay? And why do you believe is the word of God? And then people will say, because the Bible says it is the word of God. And it's true. The Bible itself says about itself that it's the word of God, and it gives a bunch of reasons. But again, that could be circular reasoning to someone else. It's like the book that says about itself, I'm the greatest book. Who says it? Well, the book says it, right? So we need corroborating evidence, and we have it, and the Bible has it like no other book. Um, Just like the testimony of who Jesus Christ is, is there's more evidence about the existence of Jesus Christ than the existence of yourself. And you'd be surprised if if you've read Evidence That Demands a Verdict, Part 1 and 2, or F.F. Bruce. uh, For those of you looking up authors, there is volumes written about this. I'm taking a two-year course and cramming some things in a nutshell in a short amount of time. We could take all the papyrus documents, the unseals, the minuscules, the lectionaries that I'm going to show you, and I can dissect them and go through them and, and give you evidences within them. I could tell you where the critics are arguing about two papyrus documents and show, and I'll give a few samples of it to show where some of the controversies come in, okay, and show how they're, they're, they're irrelevant. But let me give you a proper response here, and that's this, okay? The first one is, the reason the Bible's so unique is because it's unique. It's different. It's on, you know how many Guinness Book of World Records the Bible owns on circulation? On circulation, on distribution. If you start a new religion, and you know you can't stick with the Bible because your new religion has some other things agreed to it, you have to include the Bible, Because the Bible has the historicity. In other words, it it, it has the reliability of the Bible manuscripts, which I'll go over. It has eyewitnesses, testimony, friend and foe. You have Josephus, who's a Jewish historian, who writes in 60 AD. That's the time of the Apostle Paul. During the exile, when Jerusalem is destroyed, he's writing volumes. I have all the volumes. I have them in my computer, and I have them at home. Jody gave it to me for my birthday. Isn't that a great birthday present? the history of Josephus. (laughs) Not everybody would like that. (laughs) Some people, some people want an Xbox game, but I love this. I interact with Josephus and find out what he's writing. But, but it's awesome because he writes about the persecution of the church. He talks about the death and the resurrection of Jesus. He's Jewish and he's writing what's happening. Uh, Tacitus You know, is a Roman senator who writes all about the exploits of the church and about Christ. Pliny the Younger and Pliny the Elder have letters interacting with Trajan, one of the strong Roman emperor military commanders. Some of you guys might have seen the font, Trajan font. It's after him. He's a great persecutor of Christians. And he writes about them and how they believe in Christ, that he's raised from the dead and where the crucifixion was. These are non-Christian writings that all correspond all through history about the testimony, not only of the life of the church. And by the way, if someone says the church, you know, has failed and we need to restore it. How many know that we're still here? Yeah. Woo, baby. The church is here. Amen. Yeah. It's the church is still alive and it's been alive. The church has been alive because Christ is alive. The gates won't prevail against the church, Jesus says. Right? It's it's going to survive, and and there is a so there's a history and archaeological evidence. You can go right now to Jerusalem, and you can go into a dozen of museums, and you'll find you know Philistine war uh, war uh, arrowheads, and you'll find spears from the Phoenicians, and you'll see the 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 castles and the things that they built for defense and military barriers. And, and you'll see old manuscripts all through history that this is a preserved documents that are come through in a preserved history. You can dig deep down in Jerusalem and go down about 15, 20 feet and say, this is where Jesus walked and here's how the land's built itself up. You can't do that with other histories. You know, I, I've given examples from uh, the Quran and even from some of the, our local history, from the, our local faith and Mormonism. And that is the battle of the Hill of Camorra, where it was supposed to be fought with steel, steel swords. Now we know that at the time frame that there was no steel, according to the Smithsonian and all historians, that there is no steel at that time in the country, but the the document says there's steel. And so if it was written in the 1830s where there was steel, you can imagine a battle with steel, but we have no battle locations at all. Where tens of thousands of men fought. Do you know that we can go back to the Civil War and find a ton of things? We can go back to the history in Jerusalem and Palestine and the Middle East and see where the Babylonians built things. Ephesus was excavated or, or evacuated, I mean, evacuated suddenly because they had like an Ebola type virus. And it's fully intact, Ephesus. Because they had to escape it, escape the aqueduct system. And it's fully intact. You can go see that. It's real history. There's fulfilled prophecies. Do you know that Isaiah and Daniel made distinct predictions? Daniel gave a 70-year predictions of when the kingdom would rise and when it would fall. He gave a prediction of four distinct empires that would rule how they would rule and what their names would be. He gave names wow. Listen, and people read the National Enquirer. <laughs> Seriously. And, 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 and it has existential relevance. How many have experienced the power of Bible in your lifetime with you personally? Honest to God. T- testify high up. Now, Okay. Now, if, you, if your mommy made you raise your hand, put your hand down. <laughs> Keep your hand up. You know, when mommy wants you to give a testimony at church and you got to do it or something like that. I wasn't in the church. Not the, not one of those testimonies, a testimony that God was relevant in your life. Now, this is the testimony of the living church. Amen. And it has revelational, transformational, incarnational power. Check it out. Amen. OK, now let me give you a false notion. I think that some people, in order for the Bible to trust its reliability, they think that God, when he was writing it, that he should have taken a snapshot of the photograph, made some photocopies and buried it so that we'd find it years later. And there are some documents that have been written that we found. Dead Sea Scrolls as one, silver amulet um, from the Chalim um, has been found, and there are others. But th- that's not how it worked. You-, you have to imagine if you have one prophet... Writing down a bunch of history. What's going on? Moses is writing things down. And then Moses is dying off. And yet Moses' writing continues. And then Joshua is writing. And he has Moses' writing. And then he's writing. And it's passing on. And then Isaiah is getting those writings. And he's quoting that. And finally Daniel is getting those writings. And he's saying, this is what Joshua said. And these writings are on quickly erodible plant skin. Animal skin. That, that's literally quickly eroding. So you have to, you don't just have one copy and keep it unless it's buried and sealed like the Dead Sea Scrolls where it's kept for a couple thousand years. But we're, we're talking about in the air, in the open air while you're using it, how long does your Dr. Seuss Green Eggs and Ham book last? Like I have my book and it's a professional coded copy that when I was in 70 and I can read it now and be just as edified by Green Eggs and Ham. Right? <laughs> I love my green eggs. I'll eat it in a fox with a box and in a house with a mouse. And maybe that's another book. But how many of you grew up with Dr. Seuss? Come on. Right? And what a literary genius. And and, and these are preserved through um, what we call, and say it with me, I want you to say the word transmission. Now, here is a misnomer, a misunderstanding about how things are, are brought about. This is what people think happened. This is not how it happened. But they think, and i heard this, I've heard it from missionaries, I've heard from people. They say, the Bible's been translated so many times. And what they, this is what they picture. They picture that, you know, Moses was writing here in Hebrew. And then it was passed to someone who spoke Aramaic. And then they wrote it in Aramaic. And then it was passed on to someone who spoke Persian. And then it was Persian. And then it went to Greek. And then it went to these different languages. And like, We don't even know what the original Hebrew says. And finally it gets to America. It's been translated so many times. That's not what happened. Can everyone just say no? no. That's not what happened. Okay. What really happened is we had this Hebrew text all the way back that we trace back from two to up to 2014. And at the New Testament times, the time of Christ, we have the Greek that's gone all the way through. And from the Greek, we make translations into our modern language. How many read a King James Bible? Okay? That's Elizabethan English. Okay? When it says no in that, it says, God forbid. Hey, shall we get that? God forbid, no. Right? I don't know if in the 16th century they were speaking Monty Python English, but that's the best (laughs) I could do. But but the thing is, so when they translate it to modern English, they're not going to the King James and translating it from there. They're going, everyone say, back to the Greek. Greek. Or send everyone say, back to the Hebrew. Hebrew. Okay, so we have the Hebrew text and we have the Greek text. And that has now, at certain times, the the Hebrew was translated into the Greek because hardly anyone spoke Hebrew in that part of the country. So everyone got it in Greek because Alexander the Great conquered most of the known world. So we have Greek. Do we still have the Hebrew? Can everyone say yes? Yes. Yes. And so we continue. So you see Desiderius Erasmus and others who are translating into Latin in different times of world powers. They're coming from the Hebrew. Okay? Now, there are a few times in our modern American where they made a Filipino tribal small guy, you know, book. And a guy took the NIV and translated it into, into Philippines. But that's just out of convenience. That's not what we mean by Bible translations. You're going to see that this is, this is um, great. Listen, do you know that over 95% of the world has a Bible? 95% of the world now with language, right? I, I want to talk about an original war here. How did this start about this challenge of the word of God? And I'm going to give you a few biblical scriptures. One, it starts with the seed of doubt. When God first begins to speak, this is all cults or other religions, are built around the challenge of this very first thing in the Bible. Can you say with me, did God, really say? did God really say? So God speaks something to Adam and Eve, gives them instruction about who they are and their life and their purpose, and then Satan comes with the opposite. Is it, are you sure you can trust what God's word says? the original word. It's the seed of doubt. Then there's the flat out contradiction. God says, if you eat of this, you're surely going to die. And Satan says, you will not certainly die. And, and this is the promise. You know, I, I was sharing Christ with someone last night for a couple hours and, and, and I was trying to, he, he was listening to me talk about the Bible and the scriptures. And I was giving him advice about scriptures, but he kept going to these other books. And finally I looked at him and I said, what are those other books done for you? Like, honestly, tell me. And it's like he couldn't mention anything because there wasn't anything there. But yet he was still turning to it, still turning to it. And it's kind of like this contradiction. It, it says, you, no, you, know, you don't have to worry about the Bible. Your relationships will prosper without God's word and advice. Just keep doing it. And I just, I'll, tell you, I'll give you this advice. I'll see you in 10 years. And we'll still be here. And we'll still be preaching the same thing, God's word. And so will my kids, and they'll pass it on. And so will your kids, and they'll pass it on. God's word. Amen? Amen? Listen, how long will you and I ignore God's great advice and live with such pain and desperation? When God's word is filled with wisdom and life and love, it's tried and true. It's, it's not, you think God doesn't know about our days? You think God doesn't know about weed? Seriously. You think God doesn't know about drinking? You think God doesn't know about adultery? You think God doesn't know about relationships? You don't think God knows about suicide? You don't think God knows about masturbation? Seriously. God knows about it, and he talks about it. How many know you picked the right church this morning? (laughs) Right? And then there are what they call half-truths. That's in the service of a lie. God knows when you eat it, your eyes will open. Half-truths are where you take a little bit of the scripture and then you add, start adding a true. You know, yeah, the Bible is the word of God. I mean, as long as we can trust its translation. As long wants to has been translated correctly. It's kind of like, and then you get to cherry pick what you want what you don't want from the word rather than its revelatory transmission. All right, who wants to, who wants to grow in this knowledge? Come on. All right, let's number two, the Bible. This is what God says here. He says, the grass withers and the flowers fail, fall, but the word of our God stands forever. Amen. 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 So good. Listen, the Old Testament, the Old Testament, let's start with that. It's broken up. Can everyone say the word Tanakh? Tanakh. There are three letters there, the T and the N and the K that have been taken out. Um, to to basically be an acrostic or a a, a memorization for three different sections of the Bible. The first one is the Torah. Say with me, Torah. Torah. "Torah." This is the five books of the law, okay? Starting with Genesis, right? Numbers, Deuteronomy, all those. Leviticus, Exodus. Then you have, can you ever say, "Navim." Navim? Navim. Now, these are the major and minor prophets, These are historically been unveiled through a period of time over all kinds of walks of life, 40 different authors, you know, three continents, etc. And can everyone say "Ketuvim?" Ketuvim? Okay, these are the writings, the Psalms, the Proverbs, and Job. They tell one story of the revelation of Jesus Christ for the purpose of saving us. But they are written over a large period of time, a couple thousand years. If you got three authors writing about western history one from brown's university one from mit and another you know one from berkeley and they wrote about history of america how many think we'd get different answers and different philosophies here you have 40 authors different walks of life talking about the same thing in the torah you know you clearly see it in scripture and i'm going to show you some written evidence but i'll just start with this moses wrote down all the words of the lord John it says, We've found the one Moses wrote about. So the New Testament is referring back to the Old Testament. I challenge sometimes when, when there are copies of, in the Quran, you have big sections of scripture that were just copied into the Quran, and I believe in the Book of Mormon as well. One is the, the big section of Isaiah that's copied into the Book of Mormon. And I've talked to people, I've talked to, to leaders in the Mormon church, and I said, Explain this to me. How can this be? They go, well, people use Scripture, like Jesus quotes Scripture. But when Jesus quotes Scripture from the Old Testament, you know what he always does? He always quotes the author. Yeah. He quotes it, and he says, he says, Jeremiah said unto you, or Moses spoke unto you. And this, he does it right here. Moses talks to you, and he's confirming it. But there are some interesting things about that, and then one of them is the fact that you have, when the King James authors didn't know what word to use. In the tense, they would put words, they would add a word and put it in italics, and then the side note, it would say, this word's not in the Bible, it's italics, because we weren't sure of the inference of the verb for English, so we put it in italics. And I asked that leader, and I said, when it's quoted there, how could it have the italics from the 1600 version? Like, how could the italics of editors end up in the Book of Mormon? that's inconsistent to me. Is it to you? It is to me. And and the Nivim, which is the, the prophets here, and Daniel said, I understood from the scriptures, according to the word of the Lord to Jeremiah the prophet, that the desolation would last seven years. It lasted 70 years to the day, historically, with dating methods. He does a 70 times 70, which is 490 years to the time of the the arrival of Christ. And it's exactly when he shows up. How would he have possibly known that Caesar Augustus would have rushed into Rome? Right? I mean, rushed into Jerusalem and brought deliverance uh, for the Roman people. Samuel wrote them a book, laid it up before the Lord. And then, of course, I'm not going to go over this, but Ketuvim, the writings of David, you know, the Psalms of Proverbs. And then Jesus confirms the Tanakh. He says, my words, which I spoke to you, which I was still with you, that all the things which are written about me, he's talking about it, talking about it, it's written about me in the law of Moses. Can everyone say Torah? Torah. He says, and the prophets, can everyone say Nevim? Nevim. And it says, and in the Psalms, can everyone say Ketavim? Okay, they must all be fulfilled. Jesus is saying, they're writing about me. They're not writing just about anything. They're writing about him. Do you realize how many prophecies Jesus would have to fulfill to try to make himself into something to fulfill all these prophecies? The the difficult ones to force and fake are probably the virgin birth ones. (laughs) Right? Because you'd have people from the hospital, people from the going. no, I saw it, man, his mom pushed him out, I'm telling you. Okay, (laughs) you know, and this is what happened. She had sex with Joseph. I was there. Now, this is, this, is, this is a prophecy yet fulfillment. And then we have the New Testament. We have 39 books. and everyone say 39 from the Old Testament? And then in the New Testament, we have 27 books, okay? Then we have the canon. The canon, these are, I think that some people have this idea that somehow, and maybe in the third century or in the second the fourth century between that time period, that these old religious leaders came by and said, all right, we've got to come up with the Bible, What book should we include? I don't know. Yeah, put Ephesians in there. You all in favor of Ephesians? Ephesians. That's not how it was. If you read, there's so much written on this. It's amazing. What they did is they took the writings that had been passed down and accepted by the early church leaders already. That this power of God. So they got the letters and it became what the church used. And then what they did is confirmed it. This is what we're using. Do you know that the very first, imagine the early church birthing from from 25, 30 AD into 50, 55, some of the writings beginning and then wrapping up with the revelation at 90 AD. You have the very first between 120 and 163 early fragments, moratorium fragments have the list of the early New Testament books. We already know that Jesus is confirming the Old Testament books and it's 39 books because of his quotations and his recognition of the Greek version of that Hebrew script called the Septuagint, the 70 scholars that put it together. How many find this interesting? Okay, so, so this is a canon of Scripture that we have. Raise your Bible if you've got a Bible. Raise it up. Come on. You've got a Bible. How many have a Bible on your iPad or your phone? Raise it up. We are in the technology area. You guys, raise your hand if you have your phone. Put your phone up again if you have it on your phone. How many of you leave your hand up if you only have it on electronics, you don't have a paper Bible? I don't even have a paper Bible anymore. <laughs> uh, I, I look at my paper Bible and I'm looking at scriptures and I'm going, this takes so long. I imagine Paul with his scroll, you know, scrolling out, hold on a second here, I got to get it out here, you know what I mean? And do you know that at the time Paul was writing was the time of the invention of the Codex, where it was a double-sided? Isn't that convenient that invention came about? Do you know what the first thing off the moving type writer, printer was? First thing printed, the Bible, the Gutenberg Bible. How many have seen the Gutenberg Bible? Come on, I have too. It's awesome. It's great to see it. Listen, so we have those muratorium fragments. We have the canons. And then we have the claim from Scripture itself. The Bible says about itself, all Scripture is, say it with me, God-breathed. Not man-breathed, but God-breathed. Literally, God-exhaled. Okay? And it is useful and it gives teaching and training in righteousness. And he said, no prophecy of scripture, that these are all these predictions that he's having, over 4,000 fulfilled scripture, comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever found by the will of man. In other words, if you're just a man, how many know you can't predict the stock market? How many have traded on the stock market? How many have seen those little, they have candlesticks and stochastics? and I've traded on the stock market, and I go, I think this is going up, and then it went down. And then it was going down. I said, I'll trade it going down. And it started going up. I realized I can't predict the future. Have you, anybody figured that out? And the Bible says you're just a mist. You don't know what's going to happen. That's why God, when he describes himself, he goes, I know exactly what will happen. He says that there will be an eternal war between the son of Ishmael and Isaac. And what do we have in the Middle East right now? Do we have Utah fighting Idaho? We we want the mountains back from the, you know, from the Wasatch Front. Give it to us. No. The battle is with the sons of Ishmael and the sons of Isaac till today. Amen. That is amazing history. There's tons of stuff like that. Men, say it with me. Say, men spoke. Okay, so it's totally in the process of man. God used human beings. But not in their own thinking and not by their own will that there was an inspiration that he inspired. Can everyone say from God? God. Men spoke from God as they were carried along with the spirit. Deuteronomy. Now here's a couple prophecies. And again, I don't mean to pick on it, but just to break some contrary here is if what a prophet proclaims in the name of the Lord does not take place or come true, that is the message the Lord has not spoken. And I've used some messages in the past. I'll use some from the Quran. Here's one from the Joseph Smith's transition uh, uh, tra- prophecies, his predictions. Now, these come from Brigham Roberts' writing from the history of the church. Some of you have not read it or have read it. I've read it. I've read all the way through it. I've read the doctrines and covenants. I've read the Book of Mormon. I wanted to be open to it. And I know the scriptures. And I started seeing contradictions to what my scriptures said. And I looked at the list of prophecies over the years. This is one I think is big, where he said Jesus will return within 56 years. Those of you who are familiar with Jehovah's Witness, there was a, a prophecy about um, Jesus coming back in 1914 and 15. And what happened is in 1916, after he didn't come, right? And trust me, these are happening in Christian circles too. Christian In Christian circles, they make prophecies. There was a guy named Harold Camping who said that Jesus would come back. And everyone made all these things, but here's the difference. We don't believe in a single prophet leading the church. We believe the prophets led to Christ. Right? That He's the fulfillment of the law and prophets, and now we have the ability within ourselves by the Spirit to walk in the spirit of prophecy lined up with Scripture. So if Herab camping fails, can everyone say, Who cares? It doesn't matter. But if Joseph Smith says something, he's the leader of the movement. He's the representation. That's a problem. He said that the temple would be built in Missouri within his generations. You can see that in the Doctrines and Covenants. Now, the Berean Jews, it says, were of no noble character, those of Thessalonica. Most people know the scripture. They received the message with great eagerness. So they heard the New Testament. They heard Paul preaching it. And then he said they examined the scriptures every day to see if Paul said was true. Don't you think that's good? Listen, you have the free right, the biblical right. If I'm up here talking about stuff and you think, boy, that doesn't line up with Scripture, you have the right to challenge me. Amen? Because I am not the authority. The Scripture is the authority. Listen, I don't mean if, you, if you're from a Muslim or Islam, I don't mean to pick on you, but you have to be objective. The Quran claims that the stars that we see out there are missiles that Allah used to shoot demons. I don't know if that's not true. I don't think it is. It seems like that's a contradiction. Levitical laws talk about age of consent and marriage and that kind of stuff. Muhammad married a six-year-old girl and consummated relationship when she was nine. That does not line up with the previous revelation. And America has been around for like 226 years. The book of Quran is 600. It's three times the length of America. That's how long ago it was. Why would I take the revelation of Jesus that way? I'm going to give, give one more as an example. Uh, I, I will build my, build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. This is history of the church again, Brigham Roberts. This is one thing that, that uh, is quoted. This is a, basically a leadership quote um, by Joseph Smith. He said, I have more to boast of than any other man ever had. I'm the only man that has ever been able to keep a whole church together since the days of Adam. Neither Paul, John, Peter, nor Jesus ever did it. I boast that no man ever did such work as I. The followers of Jesus ran away from him, but the Latter-day Saints never ran away from me yet. Now, this is a a quote by Brigham Roberts, and here I have to uh, compare it. And I think it's a fair comparison. I don't think this is intending to be mean-spirited. It's just that if someone is making prophecies and making prediction and Jesus says, I will build my church. This is Jesus Christ, the incarnate son of God says, I'll build my church. And he says, and I tell you that the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And now you have people from all these different religions saying, "Oh no, it didn't it failed. We need to restore it. We need to rebuild it. We need a new person." And here we have so much thousands of corroborating evidences throughout the t- period of history and we have some of these faiths that have one person's corroboration. He saw it with no historical documents. No plates in the case of Mormonism. Joseph uh, in Jehovah Witness, you have, you know, the New World Translation, where all of a sudden you have someone with no knowledge retranslating everything to make Christ look less than. And then you have the Quran, which is 660 years later, is giving a testimony of one man, Muhammad. And he's testifying to what it is, and you can read a lot about that. The person without the Spirit of God does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, but considers them foolishness and can't understand them because they are discerned only through the Spirit. How many know that's true? You cannot see the Bible as true without God's spirit, right? But we can't just make it experiential. Every religion has an experiential component if you feel in your heart that it confirms and it's true. I, how many know that sometimes you can't trust your own heart, right? And, and that's why there are also, not just by faith, but the faith is corroborated with the evidence. All right, let me look at some keys here. Um, inspired, inerrant, infallible. These are words that we use. Inherent, without fault, and it's teaching that there's no errors regarding faith and doctrines. You won't find contradictions in them. And people have tried for centuries to find contradictions in the Bible. And you can go all, there's tons of websites and stuff that you can go. Um, There are terms that I kind of already talked about, so I won't spend a lot of time with that. Let's get right to the uniqueness in some of the documents. How am I say Amen. Okay, listen, it's, it is unique in, it. say it with me, continuity. continuity. Can everyone say survivability? Survival. Can everyone say history? history? Can everyone say circulation? Survival. Now, how many know, because you know me and you know the facts, how many know that I could have written about 30 things up here? I just picked four. I just picked four because they're interesting and I thought I can cover it. Unique, first of all, in its Continuity. OK, there is one theme in the Bible over 2000 years, 40 generations, 40 different kings, prophets, leaders from every walk of life. Moses is the political leader. OK, Peter is a fisherman. Joshua is a military general. Nehemiah is a cupbearer to the king. Daniel is a prime minister. Luke's a doctor. Daniel is a prime minister in the courts of Babylon enemy territory. You know, Paul is a rabbi, tent maker, Matthew, a text collector, you know, Solomon is a king and philosopher. It's written in totally diverse locations. Moses is in the wilderness in the desert. Jeremiah's in a dungeon. Daniel's in a palace. Paul's inside prison walls. This is a distinction. Luke's traveling. John's exiled on an island. David's at war. Solomon's at peace. It's it's three continents that this is written with a one universal communication, you. Amen. Amen. God came to redeem you. That's what these scriptures are. That's what's so awesome about these scriptures. It's not just trying to be historical. It's written in three languages. It has life affecting controversial subject matters. It talks about creation. In India, in Hinduism and Buddhism, Baha'ism, you know, there's a talk about, you know, how the, it was created with an elephant on an elephant's back and, and a hippo made this and, and it's what you'd think a primordial person would think. In ours, it's God said there'd be light, right? That God made, you know, that God says in the beginning that God made time, you know, and, and he made matter, And he describes that the heavens are being stretched. Our universe is expanding. He says that the globe is a sphere. He describes, the Bible talks about the paths of the sea running through the ocean. The guy who invented uh, navigating the seas through the paths of the ocean was a Bible teacher. And he just picked it up and he goes, oh, there's paths in the sea. There must be currents and rivers in the sea. And that's how they started running the currents of the water. It's unique in its survivability, survival through persecution. Many have tried to burn it, ban it, overthrow it, condemn it, make it illegal. There's a bunch of Roman emperors. One is Diocletian. He, he, he issued a decree stopping Christians from worshiping, destroyed their, Christ, their things. 25 years later, you know, we have Constant Constantine. He starts making copies out of his home. Voltaire, 1700s, French atheist, said Christianity would be extinct in 100 years. And he condemned it as an arcane book. Do you know that the Geneva Bible Society bought his house without realizing it? And started printing it, became one of the largest distributions in Europe. And then it became Voltaire's house. So you'd see Voltaire, and then you go to the other house, and you see where the first Bible printing went crazy. Isn't that amazing? Isn't God funny? <laughs> like, you know, I, I, I think, to me, that's funny. And Bible has a rich history. It's accurate. It's measured by the historical sciences. You know, you can see there's a real history here. Amen? Yeah. There is stuff that happened. And nations that lived and came into power, Egyptians, it talks about all those things. And you think, well, we would have known about that anyway. Really? With what documents? What documents would you have known about those? Um, My history book from eighth grade, the one that was written two years ago. You get that because you have the Bible describing what's happened and who was king's. And that's why the the history just confirms it. It's unique in its its translation. It's the first major book ever translated into another language. It's the most ever translated. You know that the Bible's been on the top seller list over and over and over again? It's the first major book ever printed. The Bible owns all circulation Guinness Book of World Records. Okay? How many find that interesting? Okay. Okay. Let's look at Old Testament, 2,000 years. Today, we're looking at 4,000 years ago. 50 AD, we have New Testament. Okay, let's start with the Old Testament here. Um, it's starting in 2000. Events are written down as they occur. Moses starts writing down the books. It's, tra- it's passed on to each generation. Okay, then we get to some of the early um, documents that confirmed the next round of uh, leaders through numbers where you get the silver amulet. These are real scrolls that you can see, that you can access. The the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord may his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. This is the silver amulet from the scrolls of Hinnon. The great documents, the Nash papyrus, hero Israel, the Lord is one. These are the oldest documents moving forward. Then in 545, we start getting the documents from Ezra. In the first year, he start, he's a scribe from Ezra to Nehemiah. And then, the, then you have history following it, the rebuilding of the temple. And then, and then the writings of the books. And these scrolls keep going through in 545 B.C. Then in 250 B.C., we have the Septuagint. Because Alexander the Great came through and he translated everything into Greek. Koine Greek, the street language of the, of the day. And it says it was by 70 scholars. That's what Septuagint means, the seventy. Okay, that was in Alexander, Egypt. And then in 200, some of you, how many went to go see the Dead Sea Scrolls? Now in 200, you have all of a sudden something popping up. We're going, oh my gosh. The, the, between 200, this was discovered in the 1900s, dated back from 200 all the way up to 65 AD, big potted jars, totally encapsulated with oxygen you know, deprivation and reserved. And they had them right here in Salt Lake. And here, and here you have, I mean, some amazing scrolls of Isaiah fully intact. I mean, and I'll take you through some of them. New te- um, you have Old Testament and even some New Testament. That's why it goes to 65. Then you have the Hebrew Masorets. Um, that's from the, the root there at Masar to hand down. They, they started taking the Hebrew Bible and then for the next thousand years, two families, Ben Asher and Ben Naphtali. They would, two different traditions, two different methods. But they all had, they had similar criteria. One of them, Ben Asher, they would. Every letter would be counted in the sentence. And every letter in the paragraph would be counted. Every word would be counted in the sentence and the paragraph. Every letter was separated by a hair. And if it was exactly at that hair, if it wasn't, they would do it again. If there were three mistakes over every review period of a day or two, and they'd go back and they'd find any mistake of any type, the whole thing would start again. The whole thing would be burned down and started again. They would have to dress full gear, full uh, scribal gear when they wrote it. Every time they wrote the name of God, they would go, every time they wrote the name of God, they would do a full bathing and washing of themselves. This is every single time. They'd wipe their pen. Each letter had a numerical value. <sighs> Do you know that after 2,000 years, those Ben Aftali and Ben Asher, that there are only eight different spellings of the word, like a n- letter changed over in all that time. Letters misspelled, like there instead of they, T-H-E-I-R, it was T-H-E-R-E. That is the difference. That, my friends, is Uniqueness. That is specialness. That makes and separates the Bible all the way. And so we have all kinds of uh, more sources there from the Aramaic Targums, the Latin Vulgate, Coptic versions, Ethiopian versions, Arabic versions that all come from this Hebrew. That are coming out. And then we have the Codex Aleppo. uh, One of the latest entire Old Testaments. Possessed by humanity. Back from 900 AD. And then I'll just jump forward. Because I I could have filled this thing 100 times over. 1450 AD we have the Gutenberg Bible. And there it is right there. First major book printed with mobile type. And then we have the accords. That's mine. They're up to version 10 now. But I can't afford it. Right? (laughs) How many know what I'm talking about? software. There it is. It's on the iPad. Right? I have the Dead Sea Scrolls. I have the Silver Amulet Scrolls from Ammon, Anon. Inon. I have the Nash Papyries. I have the ancient maps going way back then that they drew and read, wrote up. Do you know that they were dealing with jealousy and hatred and discord? Do you know that we are too? Amen. But we could put a man on the moon, but you still got to deal with love and hate and separation and divorce and betrayal and envy and all the things that are life's problems. Amen. Amen? And here, you can see them studying the ancient Masoretic text there on the left, and the Dead Sea Scrolls. Those of you who are there probably remember that. Then we have the Dead Sea Scrolls there. You can see some of the fragments I just threw out there. Again, the New Testament, up to 5,000. There's a scroll of Isaiah, fully intact. That scroll of Isaiah is like the Isaiah we read whenever we quote Isaiah. It talks about the virgin birth, right? That, that Jesus fulfills a couple, about almost... You know, many, many centuries later. And then here we have the New Testament. A little history here. Letters and events written down in Greek as they occur. i got to go quick because I want to get to our baptism and time for it. We have a New Testament papyri written on papyrus. We have 116. Can everyone say 116? 116 116. 116 copies there. The The New Testament unseals. These are the large capital ones with no space in between them. Okay? Can everyone say 310 copies? We have the New Testament minuscules, then small connected letters, 2877 copies of the minuscules, all the way through lectionaries. This is pastoral documents. That's me. I'm writing a sermon. I'm writing notes. And you took, I wrote five scriptures down when I was writing. If you took all the pastoral writings that we have up to that time period from 50 AD to 1000 AD, that we can redo the New Testament, just plucking the scriptures out, putting them together we can recreate the New Testament like four or five times. So we have plenty of evidence of its validity. Um, this is a 7Q5. These are found in the Qumran caves. These are our scriptural writings here of the Gospel of Mark. P52, the papyrus from John, Gospel of John. Then here are the moratorium fragments, which gives the list of the 27 books of the New Testament. Back in 163 AD, not the Council of Nicaea, not the Athanasian Creed, not the Council of Trent, Moratorium Fragments, Early Writings. Then we have the Papyrus, P75. Some of you have probably heard some good debates on that. Luke and John. And P, uh, P66, the Papyrus, the Gospel of John from the Bodmer Pap- 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 Papyri in the 2nd century. Then we have P46, uh, Galatians, Philippians, Romans, 1st Corinthians, etc. We have the P37 Papyrus. 3rd century manuscripts moving up in history. The Gospel of Luke from P37 as well. And then we have the uncials here. Uncials, the Codex Sinaiticus. Say Codex Sinaiticus. Sinaiticus. This is 330 AD, a full New Testament manuscript. 330 AD. Okay? Then you want to look, I I know I'm running out of time, but I just want to say this. If you look at the writing, you know what you see over there, that little writing on the left? How many have a Bible? How many have written notes in your Bible? Yep. Yep. That's what that is. What the atheists do is they go, "Oh, here's something in there," and then the archaeologists go, "Yeah, but it's it's not part of the text; it's just a scribal note, it's like I was going to walk my dog yesterday." No, the walking of the dog has to be part of the scripture then. <laughs> With five thousand manuscripts, we got some from shepherd boys, we got someone from scholars. And we have, if you had 5,000 manuscripts going forward, how many of you think we'd have agreement? But we have agreement in every word and doctrine. That's what's so amazing. Again, you have a few things where they were co- There's a couple of times where scribes were writing and then they forgot to turn the page or they skipped one page and they went to the next one. And then all of a sudden you see it corrected. They go, oh, I blew it. Okay, in the New Testament, this is copying. This, this is error or scribal notes. And then the Codex Vaticanus. Again, this is Old Testament, New Testament. And then here we have Eric's computer. John three sixteen. God so loved. It, when I highlight there, it pulls it right out of there. Right? That's the Texas Receptus. Right? It's, that's the, the body of evidence brought in together, brought through the times of history. We have the majority of is Byzantine the era, Alexandria era. Right there on my phone computer. I look like a genius. I click on it and tells me what the Greek word is and what it means and what it says and all its usages and first usages. Isn't it awesome? It's so fantastic, right? And so the New Testament, we got 5,735 copies, and then look at the manuscript evidence here. Look at the New Testament. Homer's Iliad is the next closest. It was written, the earliest copy was 400 BC. It was written in 900 BC. It's a 500 year span from the time it was written till the time we have the first copy. Can everyone say 500? 500, 500 years. The New Testament we have 25 years. 50 years. And with now I'm going to include all the different translations with the original Greeks and Hebrews. Can you say 24,000? Is there a book about anything that you can have this kind of testimony and validation from antiquity? I tell you, you cannot. Okay, let me draw a picture here. New Testament. The Quran talks about Jesus Christ and the New Testament talks about Jesus Christ. Three times the length of our nation. So 600 years. 60 years. Imagine our country... We want to know about George Washington, and we go back six, three generations, six generations, ten generations of just countries. That's the Quran. One man wrote it. We have all this corroborating evidence. Look how far we are from 1492 when Columbus discovered America, okay? And then here we have in 1830, we have the America eight times, and we have no historical documents. We don't have gold plates. And we have the Darwin origin of the species, which is the evolution of man. And now we have religion, which is the evolution of man becoming God. Same story. Spiritual, one scientific. Evolution, come next week and you'll watch me debunk evolution. From the literature, not made up Christian science. Real science. Listen, how many think this is pretty profound? Listen, and then, of course, we have the secret. Well, that's going to change your life, the laws of attraction. Listen, maybe you read the book. Laws of attraction, that's nice. Read the Bible, and it will have, it'll have the laws of attraction and everything else. How many say amen? amen? Number five, can everyone say the light? The Bible is the light. Your word is a lamp to my feet. How many need direction in life? Come on, you need direction. I'm going to tell you, that this historic book that starts with the creation of life and God passing down His wisdom and is alive, can help. He can bring a lamp unto your feet. Do I hear amen? amen? How many are more convinced that the Bible's true? Come on. You're more convinced. We could spend a lot more time. And then number six, the truth. You study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. And there's all kinds of religions that take the Bible and it's all about studying the Bible. The Bible points to Christ. Amen. Amen. These are the scriptures that testify about me. That's Jesus. And then this last one, as the rain and snow come down from heaven. Listen to this. Don't skip this one in your head. If you've been daydreaming, pay attention just for a moment. Okay. As the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth. We're getting that wintery time of season. And making it bud and flourish so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater. How many know that's true? God says, look what he says. He says, So is my word that comes from my mouth. God's saying, You read my word, you listen to my word, you understand your word, it will not return to me empty. You're looking for purpose, you're looking for identity, you're looking for restoration. God's word, it will accomplish what I desire, says the Lord. That's wholeness, abundant life, blessing, overcoming trials. And it will achieve the purpose for which I sent it. How many say amen? Amen. Amen.